Well, Flip, at the risk of potentially inflating your ego a little bit, I got to say, last week's episode, the response was simply amazing. Did you get the same response? Well, at the risk of inflating my ego, yes, I did get it. <laughs> I did get a lot. Of, I mean, I've got so many. I mean, just the publicity on the on the event alone, the, between the things that were written and the things that were said and the things that were broadcast, and Kurt Carr was part of that, obviously. But um, just the the pouring of emotion that that has been directed toward me, the outpouring of emotion, has been incredible. I, uh, I, uh, you know, it really, it, it's. I actually, it, I'm really humbled by it all. I really am, um, and I'm really not quite nearly as good as 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 the, the praise and the recognition I'm getting. Um, you know, it's. I guess it has to do with the longevity of this career, and uh, but I've received so much love. I, I cannot tell you how how overwhelming it's been and uh, how grateful I am for for it. But I must tell you, it's very very humbling, and it really is. And if it, if you one wants to learn humility, and you you think you get inflated, and and I'm teasing about being inflated, really, it's not the inflation. It's really the it's really the the sense that people like you is what just you you didn't think they really did and they do so uh that i think is is just the thing that's really struck me is just how how gracious and how humble uh, how humble i feel but how gracious and, and and respectful and emotional people have been toward me and with me it's been um it's been an incredible experience on that level alone of course flip talking about the sports broadcasting hall of fame of which he was inducted in last week um, with that induction now behind us, I think it's a perfect time to just talk a little bit more about the ceremony itself and just really set a high level view of the ceremony, meaning where was it, how many people were there, how long was it? And I, I ask you to paint that picture because it's selfishly, I was supposed to be there. I wanted to be there. I couldn't be there. So tell me what I missed. Paint that picture for me. Well, it was between two and a half and three hours. Um, you know, the ceremony itself. The ceremony started at six thirty. It ended about uh, about nine fifteen. You know, and they had. Well, I think we had we had eight or nine inductees. So you know, to be able to get through it in that time was actually it moved along fairly well. I mean, I think Kenny Agar, who runs the program for SVG, uh, is really very quite good at it. And the whole point, for those of you who don't know what it at the end of the day what it really means, it's a way for the industry to run, to 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 raise money for people in our industry in, in the you know television sports industry who have fallen on hard times or difficult times and are in need of some sort of financial assistance. Uh, the fund is very very generous and very very helpful and has really you know gotten a lot of people who have been in financial trouble uh, back on their feet. So it's a it's a very very worthwhile endeavor and that's what the that's what the the Hall of Fame that's what what the the event is used for is to raise money for that. So it's a great cause in and of itself. So and it's very well supported. You know there are a couple hundred people in the audience. Uh, you know, this would also, you know, there was very, very, everybody was following the COVID uh, protocols, you know, as, uh, uh, you know, w w the way the uh, CDC outlined them. And, you know, so everybody felt like, okay, that's fine. And, and uh, you know, the first big event that we've had as the industry since all the COVID began. So we, we didn't have last year's ceremony. So this was a chance to, uh, the people who were supposed to be in last year, which I was one of them, they just held it over till, till this year. So we were going to get the induction and we could get, a, you know, they wanted to give us a, a proper, a proper reception. You know, they didn't want to just zoom it. They were trying to give us a live event. So they did. It's probably the last live event they're going to have for a while because right after that happened, the city sort of shut down because of getting COVID started to run rampant again. So the, so that all those, all these things have been shut down. So anyway, 
it's been fun. It, it's been it's a it's a very 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 uh, open night. It's a very fun night. It's a night where you get to see so many of your colleagues in the business, people from announcing you know some big announcements, greatest announcements in the history of our business have been recipients of the award. Producers and directors in our business, executives in our business, engineering people in our business, you know people who've uh, who've achieved you know technical excellence in our business. So it's, it really does run the gamut. Of north, you know north, south, east, west. It's all encompassing. Of, uh, of what the television sports business is about. So to get in is, is kind of a great honor and it's really hard to get in because there, you know, there, there aren't that many slots every year. There's like seven or eight, but they've broken into four or five different categories. So if you start thinking about how many producers and directors there are in the business, the idea that only one of them is gonna get in in a single, in a year, each year is just, it's slow. You know, the idea of how many announcers are gonna get in, maybe one announcer, might, maybe two might get in, but how many announcers there are, how many worthy candidates there are over the course of how many years of the history of broadcasting. So it's really very, quite difficult to get in. And, uh, and so, so sometimes it takes years for people to get in. And it's a hard process. So if you get in, you know, you, 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 you're probably deemed worthy, but you're not probably deemed worthy. You are deemed worthy by your colleagues. So whether you deem yourself worthy or something else, but, but your colleagues deem you worthy. So it's just not extreme significance. And it's a lot of fun. For reference, some of the names in the Hall of Fame, uh, we're looking at people like George Steinbrenner, Vince Scully, David Stern, Keith Jackson, Bob Costas, Howard Cosell. I could go on and on. We actually did a longer list last week. If you want to listen to last week's curtain call. Um, like I said, I wasn't able to attend. I wanted to. Who, though, from Yes was there supporting you, Flip? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, who was uh, Yes was support? I mean, the, I mean, there was a very nice turnout by the company. I mean, John Littner was the president and CEO and one of my best friends in life and a great boss. I mean, he was sort of first and foremost uh, for, because of the, his position and, and the friendship that, that that I have for him and the place in my heart that he holds. Uh, it was just great for for to be the Randy Levine, president of the Yankees, showed up for a while to say hello and wish me, you know, give me a hug and you know, wish me well. It was great to see him. Uh, Troy Benjamin, who does our games, is uh, this wonderful job producing our games. You know, is there Marco Floss, who was with the was from the original uh, from the beginning of the company. Uh, great to see him. Uh, Ed Delaney, who's together. We, we Ed Delaney and I spent so much time. We who's the I was the first employee. He was the second employee because I hired him, and we had to put a network together from the back of a cocktail knocking, and I only had four months to do it, and so we spent a lot of time together and without uh, his technical expertise, I don't know that we would have ever made air. So it's just great to, you know, see, to have him there and and uh, uh, just so many other people who just, uh, David Cohn, uh, or, uh, or great David Cohn, just a good friend and a terrific talent. Michael Kay was the first uh, people that, that were on air that I hired and that's such a terrific job with such a great teammate to everybody. Yes, so it was a really, really good turnout. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, I, you know, I, I tip of my hat to all of them who, who thought enough to, to come out to support me because they're just, I, I have a, I can't be warm enough or gracious enough toward them and respectful enough for, for their feelings toward me. Putting you on the spot now, Flip. Who had the best speech? Which inductee had this best best speech? You know, I, I would say there are the, the, uh, there were so many. I, rather than one inductee, I would say there were parts of speeches. If you put them all together, they would have been just. It would have been like Winston Churchill. It would have been Churchillian. Some of these speeches. Uh, James Brown was really very very good. James Brown from uh, CBS uh, Sports, who's the who's their studio anchor on on the NFL Today and so many of their other you know big events that they do, college basketball, et cetera, et cetera. He's just he's a great talent. He's been in the business a long time. 
his speech was, you know, from someone who said, I, I really don't know how to give a speech. I don't know how to talk about myself. He went on for about 20 minutes. So he, he learned how to talk about himself. <laughs> in short order, he got really good in a hurry. But, uh, but, but no, James was really quite eloquent, eloquent and, and quite, uh, quite interesting when it came to the state of the business and his, and his place in it. I thought he was very, very good. Uh, Charles Barkley, who basically gave his speech from Atlanta, he couldn't be there because he had TNT commitments, NBA commitments, but you know, they, they uh, taped a, a segment with him and he was so funny. He's just so funny at Charles. It's simply he wasn't there because I'm sure in person it's, it would have been 10 times more effective to have him there because he's definitely the headliner. And, uh, and you know, he was the great, great, great analysts in the history of our, of our business and such a good guy and so funny. And uh, it was so enjoyable just to listen to him. You know, he, go, he goes back and forth between being poignant and being funny, and which he's, he's extremely good at both. And he, was, he went back and forth and gave a really, very, very good and powerful speech and fun, fun to listen to and, and be on the set with the guys as they were paying tribute to him, you know, his, his uh, sort of uh, his, uh, his friends and colleagues from, uh, from the NBA. Uh, yeah, that was uh, great. On TNT. Yeah, it was just great. Um, Frank Gadelli, who produces Sunday Night Football, terrific, really terrific as well. Talking about his career, going back to the early days of ESPN and, you know, how many decades now that spanned and, and uh, you know, his place in the business and how he started and, you know, to see the changes in the business that he's witnessed. And because uh, he's doing the number one show on television, that's and that is the Sunday Night Football is the number one show on all of television that he's uh, he's producing it and he helps it in a way with uh, his unquestioned, unquestioned, he's the leader of that show and does a wonderful job with it so you know his speech was very very good some of the engineering people were, were really terrific gave wonderful speeches and uh, the handheld cameraman from, from fox uh was on started the show was just uh, great they gave him he was saying i'm nervous i'm not comfortable so he, he then got a handheld camera and talked to the audience through the lens of the handheld camera and i thought he was really just terrific he was fun you know so it was it was a wide breadth of people uh, who is, you know, the speeches, you know, varied, uh, but for the, but if you, you know, they were all, I thought very effective and, you know, they all helped make this industry what it is. You know, it's kind of a disparate group of personalities, but at the end of the day, the, the landscape is such where you don't lack for, for certain interest and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, sort of respectability that, that these people brought to the event. So you didn't bring up yourself. You're just so humble, you wouldn't bring up yourself. So I'll bring it up for you. Because uh, there are some things about your speech I do want to dig into. Uh, first, though, after coming after so many giants in the industry, there had to be some pressure or stress, no? No, um, no, because this, uh, I, didn't, I didn't view it as such. I just, you know, I, I had rehearsed the speech earlier. And, you know, you know, it's funny, and I knew it was going to happen. Once I got on stage, I knew I'd wind up ad-libbing a lot of it because uh, that's what I do. You know, what's like doing the show? I mean, I, I wanted to be better than we are in this show. I mean, we just, sometimes we just, you know, we come in, we have a general conversation about a few things and off we go. And that's, that's kind of fun. And I like kind of working without a net, if you will. I kind of enjoy it. It's a high wire act without a net. I kind of like that. Uh, but this is, you know, Hall of Fame speech. It's supposed to be a little bit more structured than that. I gave it some structure, gave it a lot of thought. But once I got up there, I wound up starting ad-libbing a lot and uh, just sort of suiting the moment. And it, it, it played better because it was, it was more my personality. I didn't want to come off as someone just reading a teleprompter. I wanted my personality to come through, and I think it did. Yeah, one of the people you followed was um, Phyllis George's kids, which had to be an emotional one for them because they had lost their mother, obviously, just not too long ago. 
Um, tell me about, because you mentioned Phyllis. Tell me about your interactions with Phyllis George. Uh, well, Phyllis George, for the people who listen to this don't know who she is, she's one of the pioneers in, in, in sports broadcasting. She was Miss America, and uh, she was one of the first women to, 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 to basically you know, break the glass ceiling and get in the business and to, you know, she was on the NFL today, which was, you know, a football pre, it's still on the air, it's the NFL today. It's a pregame, halftime, postgame show on CBS, and it's an institution. And uh, I had the, the uh, I drew the short straw some years ago, it was on NBC, and I had to produce the NFL, my show, the NFL Live show, which is, I say a short straw. We had a really nice show with some great people. We did a really nice job. And we, we and it was a heroic effort. We were going against a, a bigger network in, in CBS, and that they had bigger markets. They had the NFL, the NFC teams. So, you know, for instance, they would get like Chicago, and we have the Buffalo, which is a much smaller market, right? Right across, but it's not different. They'd have Detroit, you know, and so we'd have, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Houston or whatever. We we had the, the the markets we had were much smaller, the, the by definition. So it was harder for us to compete. But I must tell you, at the at the end of the day, like the Sivers, they were in Los Angeles, we were in San Diego, places like that. So we had smaller markets, so we weren't going to do as well. But we held our own and we did a nice job. Having said all that, that's not really the point. The point is this that she was able to break the glass ceiling, get into the business and excel and be very extremely popular. She was. And, but yet all women with the time that she was breaking in and at the time other women followed her like Susan Waldman, like Leslie Visser, like Donna Deverona and others um, didn't have, they were blazing a trail. And it was very unpopular for women to be in clubhouses because it was considered a male domain. And it was very, very hard because no no men just didn't accept women in, in, in sports clubhouses. They just didn't. And they had to undergo all sorts of humility, all sorts of humiliation and indignities that you know you, you would never tolerate now. And back then, they, they should not have been tolerated. And they were, by, to a large extent, they should never have been. And so I made the point of talking about those indignities and how they should never have been. And to say, you know, listen, Leslie Visser, who was the MC, was on stage with me. And I said, look, you, you want to learn something. Young women who were in the audience want to see some, learn something. Look right over here, right over here. It was Leslie Visser. I said, look, this woman had to endure all sorts of indignities and humiliation that she should never have gone through. And this, we all, this business owes her a debt of gratitude. And I don't know that it could ever repay it uh, for what she did and others, other pioneers besides Susan, besides, uh, besides, uh, uh, Leslie, there was obviously Susan, and there was Donna, who I mentioned, and, and I met a point of talking about Phyllis George for a little bit. So I, 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 that was not in a speech. I just ad-libbed it when I got up there. It's sort of what I felt I needed to say, and I said it, and I felt better for saying it. But, and obviously, the audience response was was loud and long. So, you know, that they obviously agreed with what I had to say, and I, I was grateful because that loosened me up for whatever it is that followed in my speech. I'll tell you exactly what followed, Flip. <laughs> you said nice words about Phyllis George, and then you had some not so nice words. You know. <laughs> You know where I'm going oh, with this? Yeah, I think I <laughs> yeah. I mean, open the speech. There was an executive in this business who was not one of the most popular people in, in our business. He just was not well received. I mean, he was a very talented guy, but he was not uh, uh, beloved. Would be a good way of putting it. He certainly wasn't that. He had worked at the, all three networks at the time. There were three networks, and he worked for them all: ABC, you know, CBS, and NBC. And he uh, met the same fate in each one. That was to be. To led to the door and thrown out uh, because if he just didn't treat people well. He just a talented guy, but he didn't treat people well, or most people well. So, I mean, I got up there and I talked about the, the, the I started by talking about the, I said, when you get up here and you receive an honor like this, you, your natural inclination 
is to sort of thank every single person you ever worked with in this business. I mean, you just want to go out there and say thank you to every single person. Well, maybe not Terry O'Neill. Now, that was the person I was talking about. His name was Terry O'Neill. The that, crowd went I, crazy. Yeah, they did. They really did. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that is, it was the proper thing to do to lead off of one's Hall of Fame speech. But truth of the matter is, I just felt like doing it. So off I went. Overall, I'd say the speech was like the perfect mix of emotion and humor. Um, not too much of one, not too much of the other. One of the funnier moments, I think, was the Tom Seaver story. Can you tell that? Oh, yeah. Um, Tom Seaver was was an alpha male. I mean, those of you who don't know, I mean, if you listen to this, you, could know, you have to know Tom Seaver. Uh, one of the great pitchers in the history of baseball. Uh, just a, a terrific competitor. Uh, the 69 Mets were called the Miracle Mets because the Mets had been had a history of losing and, and, and you know, and, and never really competing. And they got Tom Seaver and he anchored a team that you know, won the wound up going to the World Series and, and beating the heavily favored Baltimore Oriole team in one in five games. And, uh, and and you know, and Tom was a nationally Cy Young Award winner. He won 25 games. He's one of the great pitchers in the history of baseball. But so he retires and he goes into the booth and he's working at NBC. And I had never worked with him before. We, NBC gave him a job. He was a nascent broadcaster. Did a little bit of work for, for ABC over the NBC through the years, but just a little bit. Never had a chance to really get to know him. So when he got a full-time job at, at, at NBC doing the Game of the Week, which I was the producer of, the coordinate producer of, and the producer of, I finally get a chance to really meet him. I get introduced to him. Fine. And so we're at the production meeting, which I'm running. And I say to him, uh, well, Vince Scully's the play-by-play man. Tom is the color analyst. I'm the producer. So I say to him, all right, guys, how about for the opening of the show, first game of the 1989 season, John NBC, how about we do this, this, and this? And Tom looked at me and said, hey, how many Cy Young Awards you got, pal? I got three. I should have had four. Well, okay, give me Tom Seaver, and that's that's a little bit up and in. But uh, you know what we're we gonna do? So I uh, I said, all right, uh, something to consider. Sure, all right, whatever. So I obviously don't want to do that. So maybe we'll do something else. So I throw out something else, whatever. So, but I'm registering this in my mind. I'm not gonna forget this. So I uh, I uh, I went to about the fifth inning, and I'm not saying anything. I'm working with him, and he says to me, he asked for something else. I'm a talk back. The talk back is where you talk to the truck. And so I made sure that I hit the all button so everybody in the compound can hear me. Everybody, they're on headset, they're every word that I say. So, and, and Tom had said to me, look, I need this, this, and this. And I said, hey, Tom, how many Emmys you got? I got eight, I should have had 12. <laughs> that was well, well, that just, he started laughing and I started laughing. That broke the tension between us and two, oh. two alpha males had mutual respect for each other now. So I, I told that story, that, that, that was well received too. It was well Tom was a good friend of mine, and uh, and I, you know, I miss him dearly. And you know, he was, uh, you know, I, I thought if I was going to lose it in the speech, it's funny. I lost it at the very end when I was about fifteen seconds left. I was basically saying goodbye, you know, to on the to the stage uh, is when I lost it a little bit. But I I held it together for. I, I thought if I could get through uh, Tom Seaver and Billy Webb, Billy Webb was a great director that I worked with uh, when I was at NBC uh, working. He was freelance and I was staff, but we worked together on a show called Grandstand and other things. And and when I was main coordinating producer and the architect of Fox's baseball, which I was uh, when Fox got the baseball contract, um, I. Uh, for the first thing I did was make sure I brought Billy Webb with me and that Billy Webb could work with me on the lead game and do the World Series with me because I knew he was that good and I knew that I could be, you know, I could reach my full potential working with someone like Billy Webb. And it was a relationship that worked out for both of us. It was, it was a dear friend of mine and we lost him a couple of years ago. But, uh, 
you know, that, that was tough on me, but uh, to get through that was tough, but also because, you know, Billy Webb and, and Harry Coyle, who I worked with at NBC, they deserve their place in, in Cooperstown. They deserve the, to be the Fort Frick wing. That's the, that's the uh, television wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame. They absolutely deserve to be to be in that. When I said television, it's also sports writers. Uh, and they, they, for whatever reason, the Hall of Fame does not recognize people in television, people, producers, directors, executives of television. They do not recognize us. And they should, because, you know, how you chronicle, how you shoot and cover a game is almost as important as the moment itself, because it's how people are going to remember it. You know, when, when Kirk Gibson's going around the bases and he's pumping his fists, Harry Coyle is on that iconic shot of him. You never you never see any of that if Harry's on some different shot of doing whatever, but he stayed on. He captured built a great memory for people. And 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 uh, you know, and that that those memories, creating those memories, which is sort of a sacred responsibility in television, sports television business, you know, you, you should get that should be those people should be enshrined in Cooperstown. That is a huge skill. If you, if you put commentators in who talk about stuff, you put writers in who write about things that happen in the game. Why would you not put someone who's the architect of memories, or one of the architects of memories? Why would you not put them in the Hall of Fame? It makes I no could sense. not agree more. That is a crime, right? And like, so you bring up Kirk Gibson. Everybody remembers him doing the you know clutching his fist. Yes. No one says, oh, do you remember the article you read after you hit that home run? No. Right, like, in, uh, not to bash writers, because I'm a writer myself, but the point is, writing is one medium, television is another medium. Like, what makes one more important than the other? Well, you know, look, but here's my point. You put, in, you, put in a, you put in commentators, you put in announcers. And you should, obviously, their words, their, their speech, their words, their descriptions are part of what, makes your memory obviously when you go back and you go back and you watch this book that was around that moment let's talk about that moment because i was in that truck i mean i was sitting right next to harry i know everything that went on because i was in the middle of it and i it, it going around and, and vince scully whose lines are lost they're lost in history and i'll tell you why in a second his line was in the year of the improbable the impossible has happened well think about that for a minute the year of the improbable you have to give context to this 1988 World Series, the Dodgers, you know, the improbable. They had so many injuries. They basically had two things going for them. Oral Hershiser, who was pitching like he was on another planet, and Kirk Gibson, who was their 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 offensive leader, their sort of their inspirational leader, but and he wound up being the MVP that year, but didn't have a didn't have a huge, I mean he had a good enough year, enough home runs, enough runs batted in, but he was really the only power threat on the team. So he had one power bat in Gibson. Now he's out. He's out because he has an injury and he can't play. He's in a very painful, can't swing kind of injury, rib cage kind of thing. Okay, so he's out. All right. Um, so the, their best offensive player is now on the bench, and he comes out one hand with one hand like the natural, uh, the famous movie The Natural with uh, with Robert Redford, uh, based on the novel, the same name. Um, basically, one hand swings and hits a home run on the only pitch you could hit, which was a slider. If you throw him a fastball, he never would hit it. One hand, it hits a home run, and they win the game with, with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Now, if that says they're dramatic in game one World Series as I can think of, it was really an unbelievable finish. But in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. What a great call. Now, go over to radio. This is the call that everybody remembers because as good as Vinny's was, and it was great, Jack Bucks, is, Jack Bucks, this is one of the most memorable calls in the history of any media. Home run happens, Gibson hits it, and Jack Bucks says, I don't believe what I just saw. 
I mean, that is as good as it gets, folks. And, you know, as much as I love Vince Scully, and I, you know, I love Vinny, I worked with him for how many years, nine, 10 years as his producer at NBC of the Game of the Week. Um, I must tell you, uh, you know, so any which way, but, but those two calls together are great. And you can see the difference, like, although one was, one's better than the other, just because it is, but the one that isn't as good is still great. And that's what you call working at a high level. That's that's why both of those guys are considered two of the greatest broadcasters in the history, most broadcasters in the history of the game. For that reason, just think about those two comments and, and how that reflects your memory. You remember, I remember it. So does everybody else. But they really remember. I don't believe what I just saw. Both sports broadcasting hall of famers, by the way. Um, I want to do just a couple more things on your speech before we move on. First, Flip, how many people do you think you thanked in that speech? I tried to thank as many as I could. And when it was done, I realized I had left out five or six people. I really should never have left. Oh, out. so you know where I'm going already. No, I don't know where you're going, but I, but I, I thanked a lot of people in that speech. I, I don't, you know, how many, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I, say I don't, I actually, if you see my notes, I, I started 35 to, or 40 at least. Yeah. I stopped counting. You can't see my notes. Well, especially oh. since it's a podcast. Well, but you can't see my notes. My next question was going to be, is there anybody you didn't thank in that speech? Yes. Yes. Just uh, because of happenstance, we had a little bit of a teleprompter, uh, <laughs> which was funny, actually. But I did get a chance to thank Don Omar, who was um, the president of, of uh, well, he was he was the executive producer of NBC Sports for a number of years when the uh, uh, when I was there and uh, we had a real formation hand in my career, uh, I really wanted to thank him. I just uh, didn't get to it. We lost some, something got lost in the prompter and I just didn't get to that page. And so I, I didn't thank him. And also Jeff Mason, another pioneer who was very good, who came from ABC Sports for us to do the Olympics in 1980. It never happened because of the Soviet Union invading Afghanistan. There was a boycott, et cetera, et cetera. But we never got a chance to do that Olympics, but Jeff was going to run it. And Jeff was very good to me. And I worked on a lot of events in Europe with Jeff Mason. So between Don and Jeff, who was very you know early in my NBC sports years, but I wanted to thank both of them. And I really never got a chance to do that. So I feel... I feel a miss. I do feel over that. Geez, I got forgot again. You know what I did? You know what you're right. There you go. There you go. And that was, you know, that's because you didn't, you weren't there. So oh, okay. Out of sight, out of mind, but no, I mean, no. I honestly, I had you in. I what I tell you what happened. It's a long story, but I had three different versions of this thing. I started I, and I read because I re, I wrote it like three different times. And you were two of them, the third one you weren't, because, and then I realized you weren't, and, and things got screwed up. And let's put it this way you weren't thinking you should have been thanked. Absolutely. You know, I, I never plugged curtain call either, but I should have done that too. I thought you were going to say rate, review, subscribe when I was watching. Yes, because it said rate, review, subscribe. I should have plugged curtain call. That, that would have been very funny, actually. I didn't do it. But, you know, what, you, there's a lot of things you want to say when you're up there, but, you know, it's just, you just, you realize later, it's just, it's, it's, it's you're talking about almost 50 year career. That's a long time. And it's a lot of people, and there's a lot of people you want to pay tribute to. As much as that you're being honored, you want to honor them, and you just don't always, you just don't have a lot of time to do it. And you find out no matter what you're doing, you're rushing just to sort of get it in as best you can. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just giving you a hard time for the sake of giving you a well, hard time. Well, but you know, I feel badly about that. Don't, do not, you don't even right, have, my it. name should not come out of your mouth when you're doing a Hall of Fame, Ever. except ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh. 
All right. So if you guys want to see the speech, go to sportsvideo.org. It's up there. Those guys do an amazing job. Um, they, they while do. we're they do, right? I, I love those guys. Brandon Costa, he's a good guy over there. He's a great guy. He's a great writer, he, too. Did a profile wrote, on you, which wrote, was amazing. He wrote my Hall of Fame bio. The 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 bio and the program he wrote. Uh, and it's just I, I tell you what, it was like when you read a James Bond novel. I said, there's so much fiction in here. I can't believe all this. But, uh, but he was, he's a really good writer and a good guy. I really enjoyed what, like, there were times you get interviewed. And the times that I've, I've gotten a lot of interviews through the years, but he did an interview with me when I first was named to the Hall of Fame for SVG. He did a sit-down interview with me that is among the best things I've ever done in my career. I enjoyed it so much. I, I don't, you know, you read this stuff. You know, I don't ever read any of this stuff. I don't, once I do it, I do it. I move on to something else. But I actually, I actually played this interview about two or three times. You know, I played it back because I really enjoyed it that much. And forget about me as a subject matter. It's just the way he structured his questions. And I found him to be fascinating. It's a very, very good interview. One of the best I've ever heard. Speaking so of Brandon. Props, good guy, too. Yeah, great guy. And he actually just did a great piece on um, our watch party feature on the Yes app. Mm -hmm. I strongly recommend you go check out. That's at sportsvideo.org. In short, viewers get to, on the app, watch the game, and on the same exact screen, have video of their friends and chatting with their friends on the same exact screen. Now, how long have we had an app? <laughs> We've had an app. It came out in March. Oh, so we're coming up to a year now. Yeah, so while we're on it, you should rate that as well. Rate and review the app while you're in the no, app store. Do we, do, we have, do we have almost a million subscribers on it? Well, I don't like to give raw numbers. You could say the raw numbers. <laughs> well, I, okay, I'm giving you a raw number. <laughs> Almost a million. So, yes. Uh, you, so you're commenting on that. We have almost a million after just one year of doing this. We have almost a million people who are on this app. It's been a very successful launch, I think. I yes. would say, I'd say it's been very successful. Nice job by you. And others at the work. And others. Full team effort. Yep. Um, absolutely. Last thing on the ceremony before we move on. Because you mentioned Charles Barkley. And I wrote down actually one of the things that he said, which... Yeah which made me laugh and then made me think. So he said, this is the craziest thing in the world to get paid to watch sports. And now they're giving me trophies, <laughs> which when you think about it is amazing, right? Like we have to pinch ourselves because we get paid to watch sports. Sure. And, and, you know, and, you know, but I will tell you this, all kidding aside, it's a lot of hard work. And, yes. but, but it's really, as the, as the adage goes, if you love what you do, it's really not work. And I do think that there's some truth to that statement. If you love what you're doing, I mean, it's finding, it's what it really is, is finding a purpose for your passion. Now think about that for a second. Finding a purpose for your passion, finding an outlet for what you love to do. You know, which by definition, when you love something, it's not a labor of, it's not a labor of, of, uh, of labor. It is a labor of love. It isn't even a labor of love. It isn't a labor. It's just a love. And the fact that you get a chance to express yourself that way, doing something that you truly love with people that you really, really love or enjoy is, is a remarkable thing that you're being given that vehicle. It's a great thing. And Charles Barkley hit it right on the head. Right on the head. He did. What would you be doing, Flip, if you weren't in TV? Um, I'd be keeping bees in Sussex, England. Be a beekeeper. No, what would I be? I, I, don't, don't I do not know what to do with that. <laughs> no one knows. I mean, that's me. It's the essence of me. 
Uh, no, I'd be like I'd be keeping bees. Someone who keeps beehives in, in England. I don't. I have no idea what I would be doing. I, I I know I would not be enjoying my life nearly as much as I've enjoyed it. And the people that I've met, I've been just incredible because of the vehicle of sports and sports television. And you know, so I started radio, but that's a long, really long time ago. But I uh, the chance that I had to do media, and and the the, the and the people that I met at the times of my life in which I met them, and the vehicle that sports gave me to grow and to learn. And to you know excel and to make a good living at something I truly loved. I mean, so to sit down and tell a president of a company, of a sports department that uh, challenge him to give you a job if you could name everybody the the, the sixty one Yankees. I mean, as opposed to his starting lineup. I mean, you, you got to know sports to be able to do that. You know, then what I said to him, just to amplify it, I said to him, I like to do other teams. Now, the reality is I couldn't name 25 players on all the other teams. If you said to me, name 25 players on the, it used to be the Kansas City Athletics in those days, not the Oakland A's, but the Kansas City A's. To do that, I couldn't have done that. Could have done 25, but I could have done 15 or 20, which is representative of it that proved the point. But I wanted to prove the point that I knew so much that I was going to get this perfect, perfectly, nail it perfectly. You know, look, it's a matter of presentation. It's a matter of confidence. It speaks to a lot of chutzpah from a kid from Brooklyn to say that to the, you know, the president of NBC Sports, you know, to, hey, I can, don't worry about this. I can not only answer your question, I could go far more than you're asking me. You know, you're putting yourself on the spot, but you're also, you're also saying to him, look, I can handle the pressure. There's so many subliminal messages in that, in that statement to him that I don't even, I didn't even know that when I was saying it to him, what it truly meant. So only in retrospect through the prism of my own personal history that I could go back and say, hey, what well, I get that. And I can express myself in a way that made me feel that, you know, if he was paying attention to what I was saying, that I was a special candidate. That's then this is not egocentric. I'm not being I'm not being maniacal or egotistical by saying what I just said. I'm not remotely being that. But that it's it's just confidence, you know, and you have to have, if you're going to succeed in any profession. You have to believe and understand your subject matter, know how to do it, but also believe in yourself because that's what it really takes. Because sometimes knowing a subject matter isn't, isn't good enough. You walk into a room in the business that we do and, or go to a bar and you'll find 7,000 people who know as much sports, or maybe more sports than you do, which is, which is remarkable, but they do because they love sports. So how did you wind up in a sports department and somebody else didn't? What what were the reasons, what other factors led you to where you got, helped to get you where you got? There's obviously a lot of other things that have to come into play, not just knowing sports. Right? I can't so, imagine you doing anything other than what you're doing now. Um, what you would do, though, you'd be a great beekeeper. Is that what you said you would do? Yeah, I'd be keeping bees in Sussex, England. Whatever you chose to do, I'm sure you would have been successful because of that confidence. I'm certain of it. Let's go back to the 1961 Yankees because the feedback I get from last week's episode, everyone's like amazed that you can recite that roster. Um, Will we do it again? Then, no, <laughs> no, but it. it does. It does make me think of Roger Maris, who you yeah. idolized. Yes, I did. It makes me think of the 61 home runs. Yes. And then as I started thinking about your career, I guess yes. over the last week or so, mm-hmm. it dawned on me that you did Mark McGuire's game when he broke the record, am I right? Yes, yes. When he broke Roger Maris's then record of 61, I did the game where his, his uh, 62nd home run, which made him the all-time single-season uh, leader in home runs, you know, passing uh, Babe Ruth at 60, Roger Maris at 61, and now Mark McGuire had, at the, by hitting a home run, had 62. And he had more so, that year anyway. But, but, he did. Uh, yeah, he, I think at the 73. 
So I have a series of questions. I think that's Bonds with 73, right? Right. So what McGuire hit that year? I don't forget. If he, if 66, that was, maybe? Let's look it up. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. Well, I think, no, I think Sosa had 66. Uh, maybe at 68 or 69? 70. He had 70. McGuire had a lot. How much? Let's see. I'll tell you right now. I think it's 70. 70. You're right. Yep. They had 65 the next year. Right. Too bad. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, I guess I bring it up because knowing you and knowing the way I do know you and knowing that you idolize Roger Maris, I have a series of questions because you had to be torn, right? Did you not want that record to be broken? I actually did not. I, I was a big Roger Maris fan and I, I wanted Roger to have that, that always have that honor because I didn't really know at that point, you know, and I still don't, we still don't, I, if he's, he just again was rejected for the hall of fame. So I, I really think that, that he should be in, but because you look at his career and you put his career in context and you put some his attributes, his, his, his outstanding defense and other parts of his game, which is so great in context, he deserves to be in the hall of fame. He just does. But look, I don't get the vote. And it's, it's look, it's, 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 it's a great honor. It's a tremendous honor to be in the hall of fame. If you're a baseball player, a great honor, but it's look, it's, a, it's not heaven. It's a museum. Okay, let's get let's get real here. Okay, it, it's right. not, that doesn't you know you're not a saint. It just means that you were great at what you did, and but it's a museum, and 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 so you take it seriously, and you and you have a lot of respect for the institution. But you know, some institutions make mistakes, and not everything is put in the context that it deserves to be put into. You know, it just isn't. And and I think they have made a tremendous oversight of Roger Maris. That's my personal belief. So we know now that you did not want the record to be broken. We did not. But being the baseball fan that you are and the baseball businessman that you are, knowing that baseball was working its way back from a work stoppage, you had to welcome the pomp and the circumstance and what it did for the game, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. I totally, I totally welcomed it. I totally recognized it and I understood it. And I, I put it in the context of which should. It was looked at nothing, nothing excites pennant races and home run chases. That's what excite people always have. Mantle Maris going back to, you know, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris as a kid growing up in 1961 to watch that unfold the way it did it and to have uh, it was just to captivate. Uh, obviously, the, New York was regular, captivate New York, but also captivate the country was just something to watch. Every night in the back of the papers, Maris hits two home runs, takes the Mickey, hits one, ties Maris. This went on for this went on from the from the end of August, I'm sorry, beginning of August till the very end of the season. And it was just great to witness all that and to be part of all that. And the same thing here we held with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And they by doing what they were doing, by the way, they brought the game back from the from the uh, the the uh, the, the mess that it had been in, put, put into with a, with a, you know, the labor dispute of 1994 and people were not never, they really had not come all the way back from that labor dispute. The home run, the home runs are the currency of the game. When those home runs started coming off the bat of Sosa and McGuire the, and the way in which they were coming off. And I mean, just epic, epic, majestic home runs the night after night, people got back to baseball. People who had left the game, got re, re, reinvigorated, re-energized, came back to the game they love to watch this tremendous demonstration of, of home run prowess. And uh, I mean, it was a great thing to witness. It was a great thing to watch. It was a great thing to cover as a producer, which I was at Fox at the time, to be doing a lot of those games that featured either McGuire or Sosa or both. It was just a great thing to watch. And I'm proud to and privileged to have played a part in it. 
You know what? What we just did like two minutes ago where yeah. we were debating how many home runs Mark McGuire hit. Yeah. That paints the picture of just how powerful and how much Roger Maris meant. Because 61, everyone knows what 61 is. Everyone. Right. right. Uh-huh. Well, the nobody Billy knows. Will be helped to two. In retrospect, the Billy Crystal movie, 61, helped people who weren't really familiar with the movie, uh, with, the, with the actual events, put it into context and to know what it meant. I mean, yes and no. Yeah. I mean, it didn't hurt for sure. In my circle, I think everyone knew what 61 was prior to that. Um, right. But here about, we are. Average people who maybe not follow baseball that much, they, but they understood Mantle and Maris and they understood McGuire and Sosa. They understood the context of what that meant. Yes. But let's do 2021. Okay. So you go up to the average person in 2021, they know what 61 is. Right. They're not going to tell you what 73 is. No, they don't know 73. And that's the power of Roger Maris. Roger. You know, yes, it's true. Roger was amazing. So they all were amazing in their own way. I mean, but to, to me, you know, the, the you know, the steroids uh, take some of the, the luster away from McGuire and Sosa and Bonds and all that. It just does. That's Speaking of thing. Bonds. And I covered those events. So so that that to me for as, as engaging as it was and as dramatic and great as it was. Something the, the luster gets lost because of that, of those, you know, the steroid era just does. No doubt. This is it for Bonds. This is uh, his final appearance uh, on the ballot. Does he get in? Yes, yeah, on the ballot. It's on the, you might talk about the regular, that's right. But I mean, he can still get voted in by any number of veterans committees. And I think over time, he eventually will get put in to the Hall of Fame, as will, you know, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Bonds will be in the Hall of Fame. That's it. McGuire and Sosa will not get in, but Bonds will absolutely get in at some point. He was too great a player. Alex Rodriguez too. They were too. They were. Their accomplishments were so great over a period of many, many years that uh, they have to be put in, and they will be put in. What about David Ortiz? Big Poppy, David Ortiz. Well, you know, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Poppy Gun was involved in steroids, or at least allegedly was involved in steroids. And, and uh, you know, the, it was named in the Mitchell Report. And, uh, you know, the, they weren't supposed to have the findings of the Mitchell Report were not supposed to be out. Someone leaked it. It got out. And Poppy denied it all. Said, no, 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 never to happen, never happened. But it's in the Mitchell Report. So somebody's messed up here. And uh, and yet he's, he's gotten away with it on the guise of, hey, you're not supposed to talk about this. And it was I was named unfairly in it. And, you know, and you you impugn my reputation and whatever. Now I, I don't know. I don't know the fix, the fact from the fiction what happened there. I'll be honest about it. Who knows? But I mean, but there's a strong strong feeling that he did steroids and maybe he shouldn't get in the Hall of Famer. Not right away anyway. But he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He just that's did. the interesting story, right? If the writers put him in right. after a failed drug test, right? We'll find out. So let's put a bow on this part two of flip. This is your life. Before we do, um, tell everybody, Flip, because this has all been the last two weeks all about you and your career and how amazing it's been. For people like me who want to follow in your footsteps and achieve that type of success, what has been the secret to your success? Give us that advice. I think I've always been myself. I mean, anybody who listens to this podcast definitely knows that. I mean, uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, and I remember starting off when I was gonna when I decided I was gonna start ad-libbing and talk about Phyllis George. I said, I gotta say something. 
and everyone, you could you hear like a sense of anticipation. You could hear a sense of anticipation, but look what it actually more of that is. But you you could you could actually hear a pin drop. He was probably whispering and saying to themselves, "Oh my God, what is he going to do? What is he going to say up there?" You know. But that's that's what I've done. That's what I've done my whole my whole life and my whole career. I mean, I I bid me. You know, whether it was challenging, you know, Chet Simmons, who was the president of NBC Sports, he gave me a job and whatever, and or any other thousand million other things that have happened to me in my life and career. I've always been myself. I try to stay true to who I was and what I believed in. I told, I've always believed in, you know, uh, in, in, in standing up for what I believed. I believed in the courage of my convictions. I believed in so many things that wound up maybe in some cases hurting me. They were to my detriment. But I, I did what I did. And I did it with purpose, and I did it with, with a, you know, a sense of uh, uh, if I don't say it, then who's going to say it? So I said it because I had license to say it. As in the positions I've had in this business, I had license to do a lot of things, and I did those things. I did those things, you know, not because I wanted to be called a visionary, I wanted to be called a, seal, a breaker of glass ceilings, or whatever else I was called. I didn't want them. I didn't care about those things. I just cared about doing what I believed was right. And was it always right? No. And any number of times it wasn't right. And, uh, and, and but the, you know, that's what makes it when you are right, it makes it all the better because you, you, you've, you've tasted failure and you know what failure is like. And, and that's why you can appreciate success. So <clears throat> I had some failures, but I appreciated them. I learned from them. And I was determined not to make those mistakes again. And I treated people with, with respect and dignity the same way I wanted to be treated. And if they didn't treat me with that, then I had, they, I had no use for them. And I would I would treat them in kind as they had treated me, and you know, so as great a friend as I was, I wasn't always a I was a bad enemy to have. So I because again, I wasn't going to tolerate fools. I never tolerated a fool. I still won't. But and yeah. I'm, I'm true to who I am. But but you know what? Sometimes, like I said, this is the greatest thing. And, and Twitter was never my boss, never ever my boss, and never will be my boss. I I am who I am, and I don't make any apologies for it. Although sometimes I say, please, you're better off running the other way. You don't want to get me started on some topic. But, but you know, but I've stayed that way. And I've tried to do it with, when I try to discipline people sometimes, I try to do it with humor and I try to, to, to use it as a teaching lesson to, to younger people. When I had to discipline them about something, it was a teaching moment, as opposed to me being, taking some glee out of being a disciplinarian. That I wasn't, but anyway. There you have it. Be yourself. Can't think of a better way to end this episode, Flip. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to a producer, Matt Stucco, this week. Thank Great you. job, as always, by Stucco. What do you say we land this thing? Time to land that plane, baby. So we're going to land it. We'll see you soon.